Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for taking time for this. Um, as we start, can can you talk a little bit about your current role in the company? Sure. Yeah, I am the uh, Vice President Global Chief Information Security Officer for H&R Block. So that means I lead the security team uh, that's responsible for all of our enterprise, including uh, affiliates. And we have uh, we have functions uh, and services in, in multiple countries around the world. I understand. And um, kind of looking at your background, how did you get into, into cybersecurity? Yeah, I, I took a non-traditional approach. Uh, I was actually working on a PhD in philosophy uh, oh. when I when I made the uh, the hard right turn to to technology. Um, I've always been a technophile, and you know I, I've uh, hacked on things in in my own time since I was a little kid. Um, my first full time job out of grad school was working at the Motley Fool. Uh, this was back you know a long time ago, and the the, the first dot com boom and bust. Um, so, you know, in that kind of startup environment, that kind of energy, and uh, I, I was seated right next to the security team, and I, I picked up a fair bit of, you know, just from osmosis, um, you know, but after that, when I moved into a big uh, multinational role uh, in infrastructure, um, I sort of took it upon myself. Uh, it was where my passion was, and um, I started studying and, and setting up labs and and. Uh, getting certifications and, you know, working with SANS, I mentored some classes. Uh, and I, I stayed within that company, uh, that family of companies for about 14 years um, in, in different services until I got the opportunity to stand up a greenfield security program. Uh, and then in just in the last few years, I moved to H&R Block and, and that's where that's I am so, now. It's pretty amazing. It's very interesting. Uh, the, more, the more people I talk to, the more I realize there is no one true way uh and it's 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 interesting i don't think i've heard yours uh your <laughs> it's it is pretty unique um and you know i think i think it's endemic a, a little bit about where information security is within the larger it ecosystem so you know infosec is not an old practice um and and i think if you look if you look at how cso's report now and where we're kind of seeing the wind blow there which is you know away from reporting to a cio or cto and more to the CEO or maybe even directly to the board. Um, I think that's a, a natural maturation and evolution of the role. Um, you know, that security is being seen as a business problem, not just an IT problem. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just, I find that whole thing fascinating to watch. I think that, you know, it used to be the case that you got into security through another IT path, right? So people that did help desk or the people that had been an engineer for a long time, right? And, and so you got this kind of rich background in IT just as part of the career growth. Mm -hmm. Now there are, you know, you can get your degree in, in InfoSec, right? There's, um, there's lots of options in, in that area. Everything from, you know, two-year certificates up to full masters and, and even PhDs in it now. So, um, you know, we see people coming into the field that that don't have any practical IT experience, uh, and that's very different than than how most you know legacy security people got into it. Certainly, um, well, I think it, it, it's also like, as as a field, it's uh, as it, it, it's maturing. I think there are certain aspects of it, like GRC. Um, often, people come from like compliance background or right. even yeah. internal audit, right? So they, to your point. They may even lack some uh, some pedigree in IT, but they they bring kind of a little bit different perspective. Absolutely, and I think that that different perspective is the key, right? I have a bunch of people on my team that are second career people, 
uh, ex-cops, ex-military, um, ex-auditors, uh, like you said, you know, and so they may lack the, the, some of those hard skills, but they have the right mindset and they have the right interest and they have the right intellect. And so, you know, we can teach technical skills all day long, um, but having that passion, that interest and thinking about things in an InfoSec kind of way, that's a lot harder to teach. So I love welcoming people with all sorts of backgrounds and not just because I have a, you know, a non-traditional background, but if we're going to solve tough problems, I want as many different lenses on those problems as I can get. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And kind of in this vein, uh, keeping the conversation on the career uh, angle as the space kind of gets ex explodes and importance out, I would say, I think a lot more people across the chain, either in IT looking to switch to cybersecurity or even younger uh, kind of generation and colleges and universities are looking to make a career out of this. For someone who is just starting or looking to switch, what will be your kind of advice, what, what to focus on, what to pay attention to? Because I think it's, there's so, so, so much information out there, so many uh, resources are abundant. I think it's time management is, uh, hmm. uh, is becoming a challenge. So yeah. what advice would you give your, uh, yourself 20, uh, 20 years ago? <laughs> I've got lots of lots of thoughts about what I would do differently 20 years ago but <laughs> I, I mean I would say you know don't don't try and don't pigeonhole yourself don't think you know if you're especially if you're getting new into security don't think like man AppSec is awesome I just want to do AppSec uh, InfoSec is such a you know a wide uh, practice and especially for people that may not have deep IT experience I like to, to, you know, we bring people in fresh from, from school and we do internships and we have these accelerator programs to try and get people, you know, assimilated as quickly as possible. I like to rotate people around the department when they have no experience to let them try out some different, some different areas. But I'd say, you know, overall, learn a programming language. Um, and that's easier said than done, I know, for some people. But if you look at, at where everything is going, right, infrastructure is code. Um, most of the guardrails that we have built for our development environments, it's, it's all, you know, TFE, it's all code. And so invoking pipelines and, you know, putting in gates and checking things like all of that is done almost automated now. And if you, if you want to, you know, if you want to get into a role where you get to, to apply your big brain to big brain problems, you shouldn't be applying your big brain to things that can be replaced by small scripts. Right. And so, um, if you know a language, any language, programming language, you're going to have a step ahead. You'll be a step ahead of, of the people that don't. Uh, and so basically, you know, regardless of the role now, I, I look for people that have any sort of uh, development background. Interesting. Interesting. Um, switching gears a little bit. I know uh, there are so many things that are kind of t top of mind. Um, I just came back from RSA and, and certain themes you can, I almost can tell what's top of mind for, for a lot of people uh, in terms of where they're focusing their time. I think cloud security is one. Yeah. Um, I know, phishing attacks, ransomware, just you take your pick. But imagine you have a crystal ball and yeah. you can see into the future. So six months from now, 12 months from now, at RSA next year or Black Hat uh, or kind of among, among uh, CISO circles, what would be the top two, three themes or top two, three threats that everyone will be talking about, you think? I don't think it's going to look much different. Um, 
it, you know, in the short term. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for that. I know that's not very sexy to say, but, um, you know, the good guys have been getting our collective rear ends kicked for a while. Uh, and, and that's for a variety of reasons, right? We have limited time and budgets and, you know, nation state adversaries don't. Um, but the thing is, the stuff that you can do to harden your environment isn't, isn't difficult and it doesn't cost a lot of money, um, you know, to, to move the needle a lot. Where things start getting expensive is where you're trying to go from a maturity four to a maturity five on a five point scale. Going from a zero to one is, is there's, it, it's a very target rich environment, right? There's lots of stuff you could do. Um, I think people too often make the mistake that they reach for a tool first or a product. They want to, because spending money is the easy part in a lot of ways, right? So you can buy this thing and slap it in and hope it solves your problems. And it's not going to. Because you're not you're not thinking about the other two legs of that stool, right? It's people, process, and technology, and people come first, and then process. Technology is the instantiation of everything you've built. That's the enforcement layer. Mm -hmm. And so, if you haven't gotten those first two elements right, technology is not going to solve your problem for you. And I, so, I think what we see is we see these new twists on old threats, and people are looking for whatever the new marketing says is the new hotness that they need to buy to solve this threat problem, when really you should be doing, you know, risk-based patching. You should be doing segmentation. You should be limiting access. You should be doing, you know, micro perimeterization or micro tenancy or zero trust or whatever people are calling it these days, right? Mm -hmm. But those are approaches. They're not specific technologies. And so people need to think about that. Um, Interesting. You know, the, like ransomware is only effective because we keep paying the ransom and we keep paying the ransom because we don't have a quick way out of the hole we find ourselves in when we get bitten by it. So what's your backup strategy look like? Do you have immutable backups? How are you segmenting your endpoints? Because that's where most of the bad stuff comes in from, right? So what are you doing on your hygiene front? Are your systems pat? These are, these are the same basic things we were talking about 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, and until people get those things right, they're going to keep getting hit. Interesting. So it's almost like there's so much in terms of low hanging fruit in terms of what we can fix. Yeah. There's no need to reach for yet another shiny penny when, when there's so many easy fixes uh, that are upstream of that that you can do. And when it's exactly. interesting you mentioned this because it's, I hear this term and I don't mean it in a derogatory way by any stretch, but often you hear that you, you can't upgrade users. So you can't mm -hmm. upgrade your software, but you can't upgrade users. And the way, the way I interpret it is that- They are tougher to patch. <laughs> uh, and I think that's where a lot of kind of training comes in. And I wonder if it, when you said like those three uh, legs of the stool, like the people part, is it, is it, is it more, um, are we under investing in training, uh, whether it's, you know, stopping phishing attacks, because I think that's, that's kind of a lot of times the entry point is someone clicking the link yeah. that or, or opening an attachment there that they really shouldn't. Right. Um, is, is, would that, would you consider that to be like a low hanging fruit? I think so. I mean, I kind of go back and forth on training. Um, you know, I think it's important. I think security awareness is important. Um, but I think that, you know, if you got 95% compliance with your phishing testing and your security training every year, I think most companies would think that's a win. Um, but you only need one person to click the bad thing if you haven't done all the hygiene aspects, right? And, and then you're still bitten. I mean, if you go back to even you know RSA when, when they got popped years ago, um, the really fascinating thing about that was like, I bet they have a kick-ass uh, you know, training program for their employees. They're a security company. 
Um, but you still need just that one person. You're never going to get to perfect 99.999%, right? You still have the one person that clicks and, and you're done. So I think it's important, but I think what's more important on the people aspect is developing the right culture in your company where security is not seen as the place where good ideas go to die. Instead, they're seen as a partner. They're seen as somebody who can help them uh, do things faster. You know, we, we kind of joke about like, we make a, a safe space for people to try dangerous things. I don't want to, to have an environment where a non-security, non-technical person can simply make a wrong decision and that wrong decision has the potential to bring down the company or bring down the network or cause an outage. Like that, if your environment is that fragile, you have serious issues that need to be addressed and, and, and you know, focus your time there. Um, I think the other piece that we miss too often when we're looking at, you know, how do you balance um, you know, kind of the sans type view where the, the, every, in, every user is kind of the human firewall, right? They're the last line of defense. Okay, cool. Um, what are your other lines of defense? What are your other layers of defense? Um, and, and thinking about how security can partner with the company to help drive better outcomes. Um, it's, it's never good when you're brought to the table late in the game. Uh, we've already, we've chosen the product. We're 90% of the way through implementation. Hey, security team, do you have any concerns about this? Like, you don't want to be behind that, that particular eight ball. So I think culturally, it's, you know, and I mentioned this earlier, it's this, this shift, this rather seismic shift in, is security an IT problem or is it a business problem? Cool, it's a business problem. All right, well, we better have security at the table when we're talking about not even non-IT related things that have security implications, because we want to get this right and we don't want it to be more expensive, disruptive, slower later on. Let's get it right from the beginning. Yeah, it's not something you can spread on a thin layer of security just, just as a patch when the product is done. It's, you need to bake it in from get-go. Otherwise, yeah. it's interesting. And it, it, it's actually a good, a good perspective that if you're 95%, if your people are 95% trained, it's, it's not good enough. And by itself, it's not going to solve your problem. It needs to be uh, looked at with a, a little bit different lens that it's it's several factors. Uh, it's it's not just it's not just people. It's people and processes and technology together. Yes. That each of them may be ninety eight percent correct, but combined, they give you uh, a much uh, more hardened environment than than one one piece by itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you know, ultimately, information security is kind of like shaving. You're not doing beard removal. You're doing beard reduction. Um, we're not removing risk, we're helping mitigate risk. And some of that means accepting risk. Some of it means reducing your attack surface. Some of it means training all of your end users so they're aware, right? All these bits go together to create a, a picture where risk is mitigated to the extent that the business is comfortable accepting the rest of it. These right. are just business decisions. Right. Well, and to that, uh, kind of to uh, extend the analogy, you're never done and you right. have a pretty, pretty good, good job security it seems like the world is never running out of bad, bad actors to. Uh... That's correct. And, and again, you know, it's because there's money to be made. Um, and so I, I always, I'm, I'm so happy that we, we don't hear as much as we did five or 10 years ago from people saying, why would they want to attack us? We don't have anything of value. Like just, just the fact that you have a network makes you a value, right? As a jumping point to another person. So even if your company, which I find hard to believe doesn't have IP or doesn't have access that is, you know, could be easily monetized, 
there's value there. And if you make it easy enough for the bad guys to get in, they're going to exploit that value. Well, and to that point, I'm not sure how prevalent those bot networks are at the moment, but back in the day, even personal computers, when you when you get 10,000 of them that you can right. use to send spam or whatnot, I mean, it's it was even yeah. individual computers at scale it would can represent something of value to a spammer or attacker yeah. uh, for like denial of service or, or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, ransomware as a service, denial of service as a service, like you can, you can rent those services now. It's, so software as a service doesn't just work for the good guys, right? It, it's, it's become an easier way for people that may not have had the means before uh, to basically push a button and get an attack out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Switching gears a little bit. I know um, we're, we're at Athenia, we kind of always look for kind of new ways to create value for our members. Uh, and, and sometimes we launch new programs and they're successful. And other times we try something and it, it didn't work as well. Uh, from your perspective, what, what are some of the things that you find that we do that's of value to you and where we can do more or what things we can do differently in your view? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the value of the service really depends on where you are in your career and and who you are. So I love seeing the new appointments each week, you know, the email you send out. I love seeing the places that are looking. Um, I think, you know, just the networking aspect has been very valuable to me, um, meeting people that I wouldn't have necessarily met, particularly during COVID where we're not going to conferences anymore. Um, so I think, you know, just the fact that you're, you're highlighting, bringing this together, you know, the, the sort of looming ability of, of advisory services and, and just bringing, um, security professionals together in, in a way that, that is non-threatening, uh, is, is helping them in their careers, helping them get visibility and, and seeing what their peers are doing, I think is, is tremendously valuable. Awesome. We're actually starting to explore this notion to your point. Uh, post COVID and and seeing RSA was was pretty well attended. We, we're starting to plan face to face events in specific cities. And uh, is it something that you think will be valuable for for members and for you personally? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm in Kansas City. There's an active Kansas City CISO group that meets monthly, um, and sometimes does stuff outside of that regular schedule. And I find that monthly session just chatting with my peers to be tremendously valuable. Um, you know, you, you'll probably, you'd probably hear this from a lot of CISOs and, and probably other C-level executives, like it does get lonely. Um, you know, you don't have a peer in the company who is as knowledgeable as you typically to bounce ideas off of. Um, so you're communicating up to people that don't know about security and you're communicating mm-hmm. down to a team who's probably more technical than you. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an odd juxtaposition. And so I find peer interactions to be um, very, very valuable to me. Absolutely. And this group that you mentioned, uh, those monthly meetings, are they uh, face-to-face or over Zoom? We've just started going back to face-to-face and kind of in a hybrid, right? Some people dial in and some people show up. Interesting. Because actually we're planning, we have one of the members volunteered to put together um, a face-to-face meeting probably in September in Kansas City. So if it's something you'd be interested in. Oh, absolutely. I think that'd be great. Sounds good. I'll put you in touch. Thanks. I guess last question, uh, we, we do have some vendor and kind of the intent is to your point to create a, a network of CISOs that's vendor light. Mm. Um, so that's why in, we don't include any ads in those uh, weekly updates and, and the way CISOs, uh, we kind of facilitate that interaction with vendors. It's kind of very 
curated and very structured. Mm. Uh, but we do get a lot of kind of questions from vendors and some some of and personally I'm also curious. What are some of the things like and if you think back six like in the last six months, what some of the vendors that impressed you and the way they approached um, and, communi- and the communication part of it, and what are some of the things that you absolutely hate that the vendors do? Mm. Yeah, uh, well, I'll start with the hate because that's easier. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like when I see vendors um, exploiting issues in the news to generate sales via you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So for example, the Ukraine invasion right, mm-hmm. by Russia, I probably had 50 messages in my in my inbox the next morning from vendors like, are you, you know, are you looking out for these this new threat from from Russia? Like, dude, we're aware of Russia. <laughs> we're aware of the threat that that is posed um, by by nation states like that. And and so I think, you know, trying to make their brands more relevant by by cabbaging on to big events in the news, that annoys me to no end. Um what I do look for and what I do like out of vendors is vendors that are playing the long game, that are looking to establish relationships. I am not, you know, when I engage with a, with a vendor, I, I may be interested in the functionality of their platform, sure, but I'm looking for somebody that can be a good, stable, long-term partner for my business, which means they need to under, they're not just trying to push a product, they're trying to understand what problems I have and whether or not they have something that can actually help me start solving those problems. Um, so, you know, we're very choosy about our VARs. Um, we're very choosy about our technology and we spend a lot of time doing bake-offs and, you know, all that kind of thing. And, um, we, we put our, our offers up to bid or, you know, regularly too, to make sure that we're getting advantageous rates. And, and so, you know, again, um, technology changes and yeah, you need to change technology out every, every few years, but the partnerships those need to extend and go beyond that. So, um, you know, cold calls don't work with me. I don't know very many CISOs that pick up the call when the number is is something that's not in their contacts. Um, I think the industry's gotten kind of bad about pushing solutions in search of a problem. Um, and so I'm, I am finding it interesting that there are these uh, smaller tech companies now that are kind of looking across the space in a way that that Gartner used to, I think, and and Forrester in some of those places, maybe they still do, but and and saying, hey, there's 30 companies trying to do this thing. We found this one company that's doing it completely differently. They're kind of in stealth mode. You might want to look at it because this is interesting. I want partners to bring me that kind of thing, right? Um, I know about all of the big vendors out there. I'm sure most of the CISOs do, um, but finding things that are differentiators. It can help you mature your program in an interesting or unique way that's unique mm-hmm. to your business. That's where the value comes for me. It's awesome. It's I think that playing the long game. I think it's it's very uh, timely advice, and and I think it's it's uh, it's frustrating for for me to know and to see that um, so often vendors are incentivized for the short game, and it's kind of not essentially they're trying to pretend that everyone is in buying mode when everyone is clearly not and they just right. don't take the time to um, offer advice uh, offer help with with no hidden agenda with no ask um, yeah. but I'm, I'm sure it's going to be changing because it's the the what used to work in the past is clearly not working right now right right awesome 
Well, Josh, we, we're coming up on time. I, I really uh, appreciate you taking time for this. Uh, this was awesome. And uh, I'll, we'll be in touch uh, about this uh, face-to-face event that we're planning in your area. All right. Thanks, Misha. It's been a pleasure.